I realize your guys' show is for the lore, which seems like it actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. <laughs> You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Welcome to For the Lord. This is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 26th of September. We are actually going to be without Joe for just a few minutes until he actually gets home from work. So it's just Vince and myself. How are you doing, Vince? Today is an absolutely great day. And you know why? I want to know why. Because on this day, 25 years ago, Akumajo Dracula was released in Japan, starting off the greatest franchise in the history of video games, Castlevania. Is anybody else celebrating this or is it just you? Mostly just me. Are you like having a party in your pants somewhere? I don't know. <laughs> a little hat. Party hat. <laughs> is your girlfriend like mocking you mercilessly because of this or just ignoring you same as normal? No more so than any other yeah. day, really. <laughs> All right. Well, this is actually, I guess we're going to have to wait until Joe gets here because I was going to congratulate him, but I guess we're going to have to wait. The audience. Oh, there he wait. is. Did, did he pop so, in? Yeah. Okay. Let me give me, let me add him to the show here. Hold on one second. Okay. So we managed to get Joe in, so we're going to progress the same as usual now. And actually, this is a good timing, too, because I did want to congratulate Joe on this. I'm assuming, Vince, that you saw this, correct? Yeah. Because I'm... I'm Fucker. A, uh, yeah. <laughs> see, did, did you see who the artist was, Vince? No. John Boy Myers? Okay, for the people who aren't in the live stream right now, basically, if you're listening to an iPod, same as with the variant covers on our comic book informer, look at your screen now, <laughs> and I'll make sure that the picture is there so that you can see this card. Our man Joe has managed to get himself immortalized in the WoW trading card game. He has got a shaman card, Ledger, Herald of the Elements, and it's an allied dwarf shaman that is so Pimpin' cool. It's unbelievable. And it is uh, Empower Shaman. When this ally enters play, if you control another Shaman hero or ally, target opposing ally becomes a 1 1 and is also a frog this turn. He freaking hexes an opponent. <laughs> and the Shaman is holding up a, a frog. This is. A, it's an awesome card. It's a, it's a green, so it's a, it's not a rare, but it's still a freaking awesome card to have to actually play. The art is insanely cool. Seriously, it looks amazing. Now, not everybody can appreciate just how cool this is, but I know the Joe can. And, and what are you doing? What are you what are you typing? Eating? What are you doing? I'm taking uh, aspirin because I have a huge headache. Oh, okay. Sorry. Jesus. That mic is good. Because <laughs> it is picking up everything. <laughs> it's well better be for the amount of money I paid for it. Yeah. So anyways, major, major grats. Honestly, if it, I, I, again, like I was telling you earlier, I, 
I'm not jealous because it's not something that I would take away from you or want it to be me, not you. But I think this is unbearably cool. I would kill to have this kind of thing. So major grats. Thank you so much. It was it's really exciting. I honestly squeed like a little girl when I got that in my inbox. Um, cause I, I knew it was coming for a while. It was one of those things where I was able to tell like some people and keep it hush hush. But, um, then I got the actual card, like a picture, not just the artwork, but a picture of the card itself, uh, from two of my friends, one that works at Cryptozoic, uh, and one, uh, from wow insider. And they're like, congrats, Joe, here's your card. And I'm like, yes. So I was super excited. Oh, dude. <laughs> and I did, I did the happy sweet dance. Yeah, no, this is. I, I was talking to the wife about it and I, sh- I showed my son too and he was just I, and, and I shit you not it was like wow and he, it was like you know that teenage wow where they're covering their mouth it was like wow wow and it was like I know and um, and the thing is, is that like most people know too I collect cards it's what I do I got someone to send me cards from Japan for Christ's sakes okay I collect cards and um, it's funny because I've been playing magic the um the 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 on uh, the game for for a few weeks now i picked it up on steam it was on sale half price so i ordered all of it every freaking card variant they had everything because it was all on sale <laughs> and it was a good it was like 50 percent or more off so i was like screw it about it the whole thing and uh and i've been playing it like crazy i love it oh my god i'm having so much fun because again i used to play with my eldest son he's the one that introduced me to it and uh we used to play almost every night and we used to take over the kitchen table and basically my god i love my wife she's so patient (laughs) with our hobbies and stuff (laughs) because we had to eat downstairs or whatever the table was full of cards and sometimes we would leave them until the next day because the card game was taking too long and my son wouldn't have to go to bed and we'd leave it to finish the next day when he got home from school and if you've played magic, you know that sometimes you might have a lot of cards on the table and then the table be full and the girls would eat their meals like around the breakfast, <laughs> around the cards and not touch anything and the wife too. And then we'd finish when he came home. But we loved playing it. And it was funny because when I started playing this again, I started remembering some of the decks that I had and some of the cards and I still have them. And I took the cards out and I was looking through them because I was going to show, I know that both of you are playing now, I was going to take some just some pictures with my, my phone to show you some of the, the favorite cards that I used to have. And, um, cause I used to buy them singles as well too, because I figured, you know what, why buy, you know, a half dozen or more packs hoping you'll get the card you want when you could pay five to 10 bucks and get the card you want right there. So I had some pretty good cards and, um, but anyways, yeah. So it was ironic that I've been playing the card game. I've been looking at the cards and then I get this and it's like, Oh, Dude, <laughs> man. <laughs> so yes, I would love this, and I will be talking to whoever, or if they're listening, dude. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I got a few characters that would make awesome cards. So <laughs> sticking with Blizzard stuff because this is based on WoW. Let's talk a little bit about um, what's going on right now with Diablo. Actually, with Diablo three. Now we found out that the date has actually been moved, which is not really surprising. The date's been moved to 2012. They're saying early 2012. And people are trying to, you know, speculate as to whether it is because of other 
high-profile games that are going to be coming out between now and then, which would have been direct competition for Diablo 3, or if it's because, as as Blizzard likes to always say, the game will be out when it's ready. We're looking at, not the least of which... Uh, Torchlight 2, which is probably their biggest competition, and then you're looking at, in terms of that type of game, and then The Old Republic, which has been announced for December 20th of this year. So, Joe, what is your thoughts on this? Do you think that it's because of the game's competition, or because it's not ready? A little of both, actually. I think, though, it leans more towards column A and more about the competition, because there are a lot of big games coming out. Uh, especially with Diablo 3 having taken so long to even get to a beta phase. It's been how many years? It's like the Duke Nukem of isometric adventures. Um, And it's one of those things where... um, I try to think of how to say it. They're they're afraid. They're definitely afraid of games like Torchlight. And they're definitely afraid of it because Torchlight is the same type of game done by the guys that made the original... Uh, Diablo 2 such a huge success and at a very very cheap price point um, and when you look at games like that you have timing is everything um, even when I was playing the game back in uh, you know back last year literally a year ago uh, next month it was very polished and it was almost ready to go right then there were some graphical bugs there was a little things here and there but for the most part it was pretty much ready to rock and roll. Okay, well, so um, think- when when you say that though, do you mean um, that they had said that pretty much all of the content was in, or it the engine was the spot- engine was done? Okay, yeah. the classes were done, the runes were done, the skills were done. Um, the very first world was completely set. The second one was almost done. Uh, the third one, the third act was almost done. Um, at the Diablo panels, they basically said that they had the game just about completed except for finishing touches. And so to go from that a year ago to this and not even have that open beta in between, you know there's more going on. Sure, they've made some big changes. Uh, Sure, they're adding in stuff like the Real Money Auction House. Um, But all those things combined, it's not enough to say, yeah, we're pushing it even further back. I really think that it's not just that. It has to do a lot with you know, what other games are coming out and strategic placement of the game. Because I think they realize that unlike maybe World of Warcraft, this isn't going to be that juggernaut that they can just throw out there and not worry about competition. They have to worry about competition now. Well, no one is well continually getting more information about that competition. I would think also that by pushing it back a little bit more, it will allow them to implement maybe a few other new things in there as long as it's not game breaking or huge or anything that would require too much work it still gives them quite a bit of time that if they want they can add even more in it because if they're looking at the other games as competition then they can think okay well what more can we do so that it's even more clear that this is the better game and i'm saying that based on what they potentially would say not necessarily what my thoughts are vince what's your thoughts on this yeah, I'm, I'm with Joe on this one. It, it makes sense for them to clear themselves out of that holiday cluster. Uh, just, if nothing else, because of a lot of the bad will that their recent announcements have gotten them, they they, they really can't afford to have any competition at, at their release window just because there's so many negatives about Diablo 3 that a lot of uh, players have in mind about it, that if there is that other option out there, Diablo 3, it has dropped down to second or third on a lot of people's lists lately. 
Well, again, if you're looking at just Torchlight 2 right now, if you're looking at, and, and Joe said it best too, like it's not like you're looking at Torchlight 2 and thinking, well, yeah, but this is just a no-name, you know, a small studio that made it or whatever. A, it's got the pedigree. We know that already based on what they did with Torchlight. But also, these are the guys that did Torchlight, or sorry, Diablo 2. So that means a lot. So when you're looking at Torchlight 2 right now, and if D3 was coming out at the same time or around the same time, and you were only looking at picking up one of them, I'm thinking that it's probably a huge chunk of people right now, just based on what we know for Torchlight 2, that would actually go that route. I think so too. It just It's the overall right now, it's shaping up to be the better game. Um, personally. I, I personal don't know. Opinion. That, yeah, I don't know. See, I... I I don't want to pick a favorite. There are things that I'm not crazy about what's going on with <laughs> D3, um, but I still love that franchise so much that I'm, I'm I'm really willing to give it quite a bit of leeway, which is funny because normally with Blizzard stuff, I'm not always giving them that much leeway. I will, if I've had it with something, I'll point blank say it. But, and it's, it's because of the strength of, of Torchlight that it makes me wonder just how much competition that is. And I mean, that's saying a lot. When you're saying that something is competition for Diablo 3, that's a hell of a compliment to that. And and not just to say it, it casually, but to say, no, no, this could take away a crap load of sales away from from D3. Now, that being said, though, there are some things that have been coming out about D3 that have been favorable. Not everything's been negative news. We've been getting a ton more footage of the beta stuff that's been going on. And I actually watched a video last week and it, crap, the video was a good half hour, 45 minutes long. And it was beautiful too. They did a great job. It was in HD. I don't have the link though. I, I apologize. Uh, but it was in full HD. So I was watching it on my iMac, my 27 inch iMac, and it looked gorgeous. It looked, it was much more impressive than what we've seen from Blizzard with their videos. And it was a couple of guys and they were ripping through stuff together, which is what I wanted to see too, some co-op and see how the spells work together and what people can do and things like that. And, and it looked great and it did look like it would be a lot of fun to play. Um, Vince, you, you've been watching a lot of the beta videos too? Yeah, I've been catching a lot of them. Uh, it got really interesting when a lot of the uh, StarCraft people I follow online started getting into the beta. There is some absolute hilarity with those guys going on. But it, you hit it right on the head. When Blizzard kept releasing the videos for the game, I was actually growing less and less interested with each video, especially the one that came out, what was it, like two months ago or whatever? That was the most boring eight minutes of Diablo I'd ever seen in my life. So actually seeing people hands-on actual gameplay, quests and dungeons and everything... I'm coming back around. I'm like, okay, this game does look a lot better than it had previously to me. And just seeing the classes playing, like the Witch Doctor, I couldn't have cared less about the Witch Doctor a month ago. <laughs> now I absolutely love the guy. I mean, come on, freaking exploding frogs. I want that. It was frogs. One of the videos, I, maybe we were watching the same one. And it, dude, the frogs were everywhere. This dude was using <laughs> the frog spell everywhere. All you saw was green frogs everywhere he walked. He was just sending frogs everywhere. <laughs> and it was hilarious. And but, it, I mean, it, it looked interesting, but it did make me realize that, nope, this is actually not the class that I would want to play. Because as, as funny as it was, it wasn't necessarily the game style that I liked. Um, but it did help, again, seeing some of the other ones and seeing more of the gameplay and... and um, 
and basically again what you can expect when you're playing it it was it was fun to see i i i have enjoyed it a lot and we also got and you're the one that that showed me this the skills calculator is out right oh now. yeah yeah it's on the actual battle net site uh URL is going to be in the show notes, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> and it lets it, it show it lets you plan out your character, you know, at level whatever you want. And when they had the, that big info dump a while back when they announced the auction house and all that other stuff, they were talking about the changes to the skill system and how instead of talent trees, it was going to be taking a more Guild War style where you just learn your skills, but you only have a limited amount of slots to choose from. And I was a little apprehensive. I was like, I don't know about that. But now actually seeing the calculator and seeing how everything works together and the synergy, I'm kind of liking it. It, it, it. I'm okay with getting rid of skill trees for this system. I still love my skill trees. Don't ask me why. It's ingrained in my gamer psychology. But and I think that's I, part I, of it, though. I think that's what, yeah. that's I think that's what's holding up some people is that that mentality of well it's always been this way i'm comfortable with this i understand it and so that's that's why and i don't have as much of a problem with this because again i'm willing to accept now something different give me something different that you know what maybe it's going to make me a little nervous at first because i won't understand it or or it'll be a little too different or whatever but i'll get used to it and if the gameplay can can hold up then i'm all right with that and it'll be fun having something different because again we're looking at a lot of games coming up that are the same kind of thing with your skill trees or your talent trees and you know what something that's going to be different i'm i'm all for that and I really like just how unique they're making things here. Like, okay, you get to pick your set number of skills, and each skill gets its rune that can enhance it. And it's not so much like, oh, extra damage or you know, faster speed. There's big changes here. Like, we're going to use my favorite frogs. Uh, you can make exploding frogs. You can make fire frogs. You can do a rain of frogs from the sky. You can summon a giant toad that'll just eat your enemies. Like, that's a lot of different play out of one spell. And the same thing applies to the, the passive skills. Your choice of passive skills is really going to affect how you want to play the game. And it, the skill calculator, probably more than the videos, is what has me coming back around to Diablo 3. Right. And Joe, you said you've pretty much all but given up. For the most part. I mean, it's just one of those things where until I actually get my hands on it and can actually play it, I, I, like I see the videos and I can see the, the abilities and things like that. But I've gotten excited over videos before, and until I can actually get my hands on it uh, and, and actually make a judgment based for myself on a what they deem a finished product with this new system, then I will, you know, decide whether or not it's something that I, you know, will continue to do. And because the monk is a class that I really wanted to play, so I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But again, just to to clarify, and then we'll move on. Are you less interested right now because of Torchlight 2? If there were no mention of Torchlight 2 right now, would you be a lot more interested in this? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Nope, I've got absolutely no problem with that. I've never hidden my love of that game, so <laughs> I've got no problem with that. Okay, we're actually going to touch on some WoW news because we got a little bit more information in terms of um, of the patch, and then there was also some nerfing that we got to the Firelands content. So, Joe, I'm going to let you take this away. The great and mighty Ghost Crawler has wound his nerf bat and has fallen firmly <laughs> on the head of Ragnaros. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, many of the bosses in uh, the Firelands raid instance uh, have been adjusted in both normal and heroic modes. Health of all bosses has been reduced 
uh, by either 15 or 25 percent in normal mode, um, and damage has been reduced by 15 to 25 percent as well. Uh, in heroic modes, everything's been 15 percent reduction across the board. This also goes for all of the trash and ads for every boss. Um, it may not sound like a lot, but it damn well is a lot. Um, it makes a lot of these bosses pushovers. Uh, it reduces the healing load by a considerable amount. Um, healers are actually starting to complain about a loss in heals per second. Um, me personally, I've lost about 6k heals per second, uh, which, you know, is kind of a big deal when you're already struggling to, to prove the viability of your class. Can, can I stop you for just one sure. second? Okay. When you say that, and, and we'll get into our thoughts as to, you know, whether we think this is good or not afterwards. But when you say that, when you're you're saying the viability of your class and all that, how much of this is? I don't. It sounds bad because I'm not trying to say you know you're like the the DPS that just wants to be at the top of the recount or you're, you're the heels that wants to be at the top of the recount for heels. Um, but yes, you're losing some of your your heels because of this. But because it is that much easier. It's really, it's not making it more difficult for you to heal, though, because you're getting through the encounter that but much it, faster, right? But it's making it difficult for you to justify a raid spot. See, and that's the thing. Okay. Um, a, lot of, a, a lot of problems come from, and this is a whole different discussion for another day, um, but healers are, when they're judged by other healers, is fine. Usually you're going to be okay. The problem is the non-healers out there, the tanks and the DPS that only look at the, the pure throughput. And when you're looking at throughput on boss fights, you're going to take the lowest healer when you when you need to cut like down to five or four healers in a 25-man raid, or when you look to cut down to two healers in a 10-man raid, you're going to take the lowest man on the totem pole unless they have an absolutely crucial, uh, necessary role to the raid, like a cooldown you absolutely need or something like that, and you cut them. Uh, so a lot of people have actually been really worried about that. And it's not that I am you know want to be the top of the meters or anything like that. It's just that I need to be able to take somebody who doesn't understand healing and say, this is good. And when, unfortunately, that tends to be the boneheaded people that I can have to go and say, you're DPS, you understand numbers. Numbers, good. These good numbers. And, like, throw it at them and call it a day. Um, but a lot of healers are upset by this. And it's not just Restoration Shaman. Um, Holy Paladins have actually been feeling the crunch a little bit as well. Holy Priests have hit, got hit pretty bad as well. It's just, And it's the nature of a nerf, right? You reduce the damage going out. You reduce the amount of health that a boss has. The fight lasts less uh, less a shorter period of time and there's less for you to do so it's gonna it's natural it's going to happen heroics still hurt a lot of the mechanics still hurt so that's pretty good my one gripe with it and this is my personal opinion is unlike what happened with icc when there was a creeping power scaling buff mm -hmm. you can't turn this off this is not something you can opt into or out of so you are basically stuck with it, it is a flat nerf and I'm very confused why they went this route, why it was just a flat nerf to everything in the zone, as opposed to something like ICC, which was a design feature I really enjoyed. Giving players a choice in how they did their raid content. You want that extra challenge? You want to do it at level? Turn it off. You want that extra boost to get through the, your farm content, the bosses that you've seen? Turn it on. That would have been really cool. Um, but this this really came out of left field. Um, some boss mechanics were nerfed even, like Alice Razor summons giant tornadoes of fire, and they chase players around the room in overlapping circles. And you're, that during that phase, guess what your job is? Not to get caught by fire. 
So what they've done is they've actually slowed down the tornadoes. Now, there's a mechanic built into the fight that already increases your haste and run speed. So people were complaining about getting hit by tornadoes, so they slowed them down. It's like, really? It wasn't very hard to avoid. You just had to pay attention. So it's little things like that that are making people very bored with the instance now. And even moving into heroic modes, um, you're looking at a lot of guilds already being 7 of 7 now. They're downing Ragnaros, and they had no chance of doing it before. Um, you're seeing heroic modes where they're going 6 of 7. Um, Ragnaros Heroic is the one exception to the nerf bat. He was untouched. Now, don't get me wrong. I think everybody should be allowed to experience the content. I am all for that. I think everybody should be allowed to see all of the raids, especially before the next level of raids comes out. But it's just the lack of choice and the lack of warning that really got me on this one. But warning, I mean, it's they've always done this kind of thing where when you know the next one is coming out, expect the nerf on the current one. That's that's just how it's always been. I don't know what kind of warning you would need. Or We didn't even get, but it wasn't even, 4.3 wasn't even on the PTR yet, and none of the details for the raid were even out when the nerf bat hit. And there wasn't even, like with ICC, they even said flat out, we're going to be introducing a buff to players in the coming weeks. There was sort of that, that, ahead of time um in the past like big nerfs like with cal thos in burning crusade and black temple and illidan there was fair warning about um you know a couple weeks ahead of time so that if you were working on it and you wanted to get that kill before the nerf you could actually go and do that you could work on it you had a goal you had a target um but it was one of those things where they never they never give a time frame it just kind of dropped um and that was it. And it was just like it was announced. Oh, yeah, these are hot fixes. Um, it's not hot fixes. It's nerfs. And it was just it was the sort of that thing where it was like there was no warning. And I know it sounds really stupid. But for me, as a person who enjoys the difficulty of a raid, it sort of cheapened a couple of the kills for me because it just it felt too easy just because of that reduction. But now if you are in a raid and it's a regular raid and you don't have to worry about having to justify your spot because it's always going to be the same guys and you were banging your head on you know boss b or c whatever kind of thing and now you can actually get through it and progress through and get it to the point where you are can can farm it regularly so that everybody can get equally geared out and be prepared for as soon as 4.3 hits you might be of the opinion that this is fantastic well, no, and like I said, I, I like the idea for uh, for the vast majority of players. My personal opinion is I would just like to be able to turn it off. So it's and not the, it's not the nerf you have a problem with. It's just the on-off switch. It's the on-off switch. There is no on-off switch. So it's for, it, it's just, you don't have a choice. And that's one thing that we've been talked about for, you know, a year and some change now with Blizzard is they want to give players choice, you know, choice in your gear, choice in your spec, choice in, in how you build your character a little bit. Um, and it's like one of those, one further thing. And I am always one of those people that anytime choice is taken away from me in a game, I don't like it. Yeah. But there's a difference between having a choice in your gear, your spec and all that, and a choice in the content. You, you can have a choice in terms of what your character progression is like, but the content can be up to them to decide what they want to do with it. That's, oh, and that's, I agree. A, uh, that's my opinion. So them not putting a switch in, for me, that's I'm all right with that. Now, granted, I'm not you. I'm not the regular raider. And see, that's the thing, too. Like, in terms of... Um, 
the the justification as to whether or not this was the right thing to do to put the, the the nerf in again when i look at it i look at it in terms of i'm actually in the majority because i'm not a raider or i'm not you know i i would do some casual raiding but i'm not going to do the hardcore raiding like you do so and there are more of us than there are of your kind oh, yeah. so to and i completely understand that yeah so for them to make it so that we can actually experience some of the content I think that's fantastic. And I see it from the perspective of even the semi-serious raider who is, as my my example earlier, you know, just been banging their head against the wall. And now they can finally get through that and finish it and get everybody geared and ready for 4.3. I think that the only people that are really going to be upset are the ones that are the truly hardcore raiders. And, and even then, I'm... Hmm, and, and I, again, I, I can't put myself in your shoes because I haven't raided since the first couple of years, like seriously raided since the first couple of years. Things have changed since then, and, and that's fine. However, even looking at what you just said and your things, I, I don't want to say you're wrong because, of course, again, I, I can't make that justification. But I'm finding it hard to um, to agree with you because, again, it's... I know that you're going to have a harder time justifying your role, but again, if if your guild is progressing through and your guild is raiding and all that, and it, as long as your your raid leader and guild leader aren't complete idiots, then you shouldn't have that hard of a time justifying to them that your role in in the raid. Well, and what I'm saying, me, it's not necessarily me, but it's other people. Oh no, out you're there. legendary. You're <laughs> apparently I'm on I'm on a freaking trading card. You're freaking um, uh, herald of the elements. If they don't take you, they're stupids. <laughs> but no, and, and I understand that. But it, it's also at a point where um, I you also don't get this. And this is not a shot against you or anything like that. But you don't get the same emails I do. And a lot of the emails I get from the Restoration Shaman in particular, as well as other healers through World of Maticus and WoW Insider, um, there's a lot of concern, especially after this nerf. Because a lot of healers are getting cut or benched, and they're not, and they're not getting to see the content. So while other people are getting to push through the content, these other people who have been working on it are getting benched. So there's there's but two why? sides of the point. If because I can ask, because no you, you don't need because you don't need six healers. You, you don't need four. Four. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's there's two sides of the coin, and like I said, I'm not against the nerf. I think it's a great idea as far as getting people through the content. I think everybody should kill Ragnaros. I think everybody should get to experience the epic content and the story of that the, and the lore of that zone. The zone is amazing. The zone looks beautiful. Everybody should get to experience it. It's just that there's two sides to every coin, right? So when you have a handful of players that are now no longer able to see it because they're no longer necessary, you have a problem. Okay. So they're but neat. That, that that was my point. Okay, so you've got six healers. Two of them got benched. Eventually, the four that are in are going to be completely geared and should be able to make room for the two that got benched. Maybe. You have to worry about RNG. You have to worry about the time frame between 4.3 coming out. There's a lot of factors. It's a weird It's a weird place. It's, it's a fine line to walk. Okay, let's just, before we move on, your guild right here, right now... If you were given the option to keep it at the current difficulty, or sorry, keep it at the old difficulty versus the new, would what would your guild be doing right now? Because we already if, talked about it. We already talked about it, and everybody in the guild agreed, especially everybody in the raid, we would have kept it at the same difficulty. Okay, okay. Any so, other WoW news this week? Oh, yes, uh, we did. Dude, dude, yes. 
The freaking daggers. Yes, there was. We got Rogers. Rogers' desire to make himself a rogue. I'm Batman. No, no, I already had the rogue. My rogue was sitting at 70, but I'd spent quite a bit of time on the the mage there leveling her up, and so I'd kind of benched him for a little while. And now that I saw the freaking, I'm going to put it for the folks in the audience. Look at that. Look at that dude. I'm Batman. So the uh, if you get these legendary daggers, which what you said was the um, that they give you flight form and they, that they come as a pair. So you one drops, you got two, and they give you flight form. And you get these freaking awesome wings. Look at that, folks. I'm going to put it. Okay, if you're listening on your iPod or iPhone, look at your screen now. Now. Dude, so after seeing this, I benched all my other tunes. <laughs> they are benched. I've been leveling my rogue. I've already got him up to 79 and three quarters. So actually, two bubbles from 80. So I'm hoping to get him to 85 within next couple of days um i dare say rogues one tier 13 you know what though i actually am not crazy about their outfit i really am not if anything the freaking warriors who look like deathwing himself i think that is freaking awesome i think their warriors look cool paladins look awesome they look like they're straight out of freaking gondor um, I like the rogue outfit actually. And you know what? I actually don't, I, I don't know if it sounded like you didn't like the, uh, the shaman. I set. hate the shaman. One. I actually don't mind it. I don't mind it, but I'm, I really don't like this at all. The, 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 the set for the rogues at all. They've had nicer sets, but those daggers oh, and the dudes. mage one. Did you see the mage one? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. That's Steam the one with the freaking mage. Yeah. yeah. Hell yes. <laughs> so. I like this. Now, did you, because you were saying this is, it starts as a quest, which means that so long as you can get into a raid to kill Deathwing at the end, any rogue should be able to progress through this at their own pace, correct? Yes. And not only that, the quest will start outside of the raid, right? So the quest is going to start from the one black dragon that you, the one black dragon egg that you save in the Badlands. So if anybody who's done that quest, um, you'll see that there was like one egg. They're the one pure egg. You know what I mean? So he grows up, right? And this is, those daggers are two of his teeth that he's giving to you as, as part of your uh, service to him. And there's this whole epic quest line of subterfuge. And the cool thing about it is the quest isn't just go here, kill this, give me money, do this. It's using sneaking, pickpocketing, lockpicking, dungeon instances where you have to do specific things. Um, it's like Metal Gear Solid Rogue meets World of Warcraft <laughs> in order to get your legendary. And that's really that's cool. That's awesome. You don't hear about anymore, right? Rogues don't get to do that anymore. So it's really awesome to have that sort of class integration um, into the legendary. On top of that, even with the new looking for raid, the looking for raid tool, you're still going to be able to complete and do your legendary in that instance. So if you're a rogue and you're in the looking for raid tool, you'll be able to get the pieces. You'll be able to complete the legendary quest in that pug as well. Really? They've actually said that? Yes. All, oh. all levels of the raid will be able to complete it. See, the only thing that I see with this is, okay, it's... Is, are they considered legendary only because they're allowing you the flight form, which is freaking awesome, and they're going to be a little bit stronger? Or are they on par with what the other legendaries are for the other classes? Well, let's look at it this way. It's the end It's the end in the end in game legendary, right? Let's go through the end game legendaries from past to present. 
in the first in the first game, World of Warcraft Vanilla, you had the Staff of Atesh. The Staff of Atesh was still used by the few people that were able to complete it at 70. So it was it still carried through and was still used in raiding at level 70. At the end of Burning Crusade, you had Thorndal, the legendary hunter bow. It was still used at 80. Then you had uh, at in ICC at the end of it, you had Shadowmorn. And Shadowmorn was still used at 85 for a good long time. So these end of the cycle, the end of the expansion legendaries carry on well through into the next cycle. So they're not just placeholders. They're not just, oh, we're giving you flight form or we're giving you slightly better weapons. These are beefy weapons that will still be competitive for a long time into the next expansion but, because they bookend it. You but, know what I mean? But we don't know that because we haven't been given the stats on those yet. Yet, but if so, they continue the trend, which has been pretty consistent, that last legendary will last for quite a while. I, I mean, I, and I agree with you. I, I, the, the only thing is, is that my concern, not a concern, it's just I'm thinking, it's if anybody can do it, then it's going to be too easy to get. And they've typically made it that the legendaries are more difficult to procure. So to me, this kind of seems like okay, well, we're going to give you a legendary, and it's going to be easy. Not to exactly. Do what do you it's mean? easier to do the it's easier to do the quest, but it also is going to involve a lot of gold as well. Um, there is going to be a considerable money drop as well, um, and they're using that. As I don't a like the sound of, of that. It's not going to be anything that <laughs> it's not going to be anything that the Bank of Joe can't help you out with. So don't worry. We're not um, we're not on the same realm, brother. You can't help me with that. I, I will pay. Hogs. I, I will I will pay real money to transfer you money. Roger. How how much are we talking about here? Did no, you that hear? we don't know yet. We don't know. But yet. they're saying a lot. They're saying that it's going to be a um, good investment, and which is what's going to make the daggers worthwhile for a long time. Okay. Um, but at the same point, it's like that's what they're doing to Kirby because the number of people that have Terracosa's Rest right now, or Terracosa's Wrath, the legendary staff, is so much higher than all the previous legendaries that it's ridiculous. They feel that they made it too easy to attain. And considering that we're probably going to have three legendary staffs in Guild before the end of the expansion... Yeah, I can understand that. See, that's what I'm thinking with the with these daggers. And uh, again, I I don't see that as a bad thing simply because anybody can start a rogue if they want to. Shit, it doesn't take long to do either to level them up. I mean, I'm working on mine now, and he will be 85 in a matter of days. I mean, you can level a tune. I did my freaking mage in two weeks. It doesn't take long to level to 85 anymore, folks. So anybody can do it. So I'm all for it. I just think that again, especially with the looking for raid tool. Anybody can do this. Whether, I mean, yes, it might take a considerable investment of both your time as well as your resources and things like that, but you can still do it. It'll take a while for you to get it, but you can still do it. So I foresee, you know, every single freaking rogue with these or damn near. I don't see a reason why a rogue wouldn't work towards this. And, and I will agree with you, but I think it's that they're going to find ways to kind of curb the numbers a little bit. Uh, because you can't have them too high. You have them too high, and then it becomes not so much a legendary as it is a giveaway. Exactly. And it loses its it loses its hoofbuff. And uh, I think that if anybody can can do it properly, I think Blizzard's going to be the one that can. They'll figure out the balance. Okay. Vince, you got anything to say? What game are we talking about? You don't about? care. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about a game that you do care about then. We'll move away from that. We're actually going to just ever so briefly bitch about one thing quickly, because we found out that... 
Yet another company is jumping on the Sony bandwagon of trying to make it so that you can't sue them in a class action suit, and that is EA is now doing that as well. So this might very well become a standard very soon because they're seeing that Sony can get away with it, so why don't they do it as well? So not impressed, but again, this might become one of those evils that we got nothing to say about. Uh, but let's talk about the Old Republic, because we did get some news from the Old Republic. We did find out there was a, a really good interview on uh, the Old Republic where they talked with Gamma Sutra. Now, Joe, you found this. We'll go to Vince in a moment, minute, but Joe, you found this interview, and it was actually pretty good. There was some pretty good information in there. I was actually really excited about this because it was all about uh, bookending it, right? It was all about bringing it to a close. And how do you how do you work on the the sort of the end of one of the greatest projects that you could possibly have undertaken in the gaming community, right? Uh, so the interview was with Project Leads uh, Ol James Olhen, uh, in which they talk about basically all the final touches. Um, it talks about how their focus right now is on teaching new players how to play the game and really really polishing the game system. Tutorials aren't quite done yet. So basically it's the start of the MMO, the, inf the informative levels that teach you about moving through the, the world, using the interface. It's not quite finished yet. Um, those first few minutes uh, spent navigating a new game can be absolutely critical uh, to whether or not someone will continue to play the game. Uh, what I like to call the 15-minute rule. If at the end of 15 minutes you can't figure out what you're doing, if you don't like the world, if they haven't pulled you in by then, you're pretty much done. Uh, believe it or not, most people actually have that hardware in their brain somewhere. Um, they're making sure that the game system is incredibly secure, polished, and presented in such a way that players will be able to seamlessly integrate themselves into the world, which I think is really, really important. Um, and in the lieu of the recent... Uh, string of security breaches, they're making sure that the same thing is not going to happen to them, hopefully. Um, so they're also going through a lot of system stress tests to make sure that the game will survive the inevitable when the game is released and trying to keep from having a huge, massive server crash like we've seen so many other games fall prey to before. Uh, we also got into a little insight into the design process, process at BioWare. Um, I didn't know this, actually, but most of the games that they produce uh, really aren't put together or polished until really the last few months of the project. Um, and it's also a kind of a very collaborative thing, apparently, there. So, like, you might not be on the team, but you'll have some form of input uh, or they'll present it to you. With uh, The Old Republic, however, the game has been together for a very long time. It's also been playable for a long time. Uh, part of this is out of the necessity of being an MMO, just the nature of that in general. Uh, but I also think it might be some of the pressure on the project. I mean, you have a huge monstrosity of a, of a conglomerate essentially saying, make this good. And then you have a ton of fan base that are saying, don't be Star Trek. And, you know, you, you got a lot of pressure on your shoulders. So, of course, they want to make sure that it's as good from step one to, you know, step done. Um, overall, the interview is good. Uh, it's a quick read and gives you a lot more to digest and think about while waiting to swing your lightsabers around. So, yeah, I what? think it's I think it's actually really interesting. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Nothing. Continue. All right, then. Is this NDA laughing? Because <laughs> Vince can go can go swing his lightsabers anytime he wants, right, Vince? That's not what she calls it. Um <laughs> What I thought was cool with that, and it's funny because, I mean, they've made such a big deal about the uh, the fact that it's fully voiced and whatnot, and 
We've seen videos on it and whatnot. And yet one of the things that I didn't stop to think about is you need to make sure that you have the same voice actors for mm-hmm. if there are big changes or if there are for any expansions and things like that. And I actually hadn't thought of that. And I'm sure I would have if I were working on the project, but it didn't cross my mind. And I liked how they were talking about that in terms of, you know, if there's problems with a quest, more likely than not, it's not necessarily the wording that needs to change, but the actual quest itself and what you have to do. So they don't have to worry too much about the voice actors there. But but if they're like if they are going to put out an expansion, which they they all but said it's going to happen, then they've locked in their main core actors for the core classes so that they can make sure that those actors always sound the same. And that's important when you're looking at they're making such a big deal of it being a fully voiced MMO. Well, yeah, look I'm at look at somebody asked that question because that's been a major concern of mine for months now, and specifically about that future content and all the voice acting involved. I mean, look at look at what happened with World of Warcraft. How many different voices has Arthas had since, you know, Warcraft <laughs> three to to finally being the Lich King? I mean, it just it, it loses some of its oomph after a while when you realize it's not the same dude. It does, but the audience as a whole is fairly forgiving as long as the voice acting is good. Hell, I was I was happier with the new Agrel than the old Agrel. <laughs> She's uh, a lot that's, better. That's... <laughs> But when you're looking at, again, with with the Old Republic, when you're looking at like the hundreds of voice actors that they have for everybody, then it's got to be a hell of a juggling act for them to, you know, keep certain ones around or whatever or go back for different things if they make changes and all that. I can I can really appreciate the amount of work that must go into keeping that all in an organized way that it that it makes sense. Okay, and then we also got a ton of information on uh, companion characters. Vince, you're the one that found this. Yeah, we had BioWare's uh, weekly uh, Friday feature thing going on, as well as the, a new developer dispatched them from them, both focusing on companion characters. And the companions are really one of those one of the many things in the older public that's going to set it apart from other MMOs. And one of the big things that they really got into here was customization, and not just visual, because as you can see from the picture right there, visual customization is pretty good, especially you know from what we've expected from other Bioware games. You're lucky if you can change their 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 skirts, let alone their hair, their eyes, their face, their outfits. Um, I'm very happy Kemval has found some pants, but that's, <laughs> that's irrelevant. Are you kidding? Look at those quads. Oh man. Big naked guy running around, not not happy. Not cool. <laughs> <laughs> but in addition to the, uh, the the visual customization, the customization you can have in their story with the uh, the affection system, like we've seen in so many other Bioware games, how you treat your companions. Well, they're going to treat you right like that right back. If you like, if you make them happy, they will be by your side. Otherwise, well, yeah, they'll they'll still be there, but they might not like you very much and say bad things about you when you leave the ship. And, and, but a lot of what they talked about here was how you can customize your companions actually in combat and how all of the companions have various roles. Uh, one of the ones they showed off there was uh, Corso Riggs, who is the uh, companion for the smuggler. And since the smuggler is a light armored uh, ranged damage dealer, Corso is a tank. 
So the first companion you get to fight by your side is someone who's going to fit with your playstyle. They said the same thing, uh, the Inquisitor, since, again, they're, they're a low armor, range damage dealing class, their first companion is going to be a tank as well. And then the characters evolve over the course of the game. If it starts off as a tank, as it goes along, they're going to continue with that tanking ability, but they're going to start gaining more damage skills. So you can still use that character in an event where you don't need a tank. And how all of the classes are going to have all the various roles available to them just at different times so if you're playing say a sith warrior you're going to have that melee tank that range tank melee damage healer you're going to have everything available to you over the course of the game just in a different order than say an inquisitor would and that's really important to, to balancing the game if, if you're a tanking character you don't want a tanking companion with you so it's something they really had to think about how to progress all of the characters as it goes along See, I'm happy that they, they're they touching again on the companions more. Because, I mean, yeah, it's all well and good to talk about the animations like they did last week. But it doesn't interest me nearly as much. The thing is, is that, once again, when I'm talking to people about this game and I'm telling them how excited I am for it, and some of them are saying, whoop-de-doo, it's a freaking fully voiced MMO. I don't care about that. Whatever. That's not the only thing that interests me. I cannot begin to express how, how much I'm looking forward to the companion stuff that's in this game simply because of how much I loved that stuff in every other Bioware game, the, the Dragon Age games as well as the, the Mass Effect stuff. I love the companion stuff. I just have a blast with that because it's, it's, it's so much more, even though it's an NPC, it's so much more intimate than a regular NPC in the game. It's your it's your buddy kind of thing. So unless you've played either of the Dragon Ages as well as or the uh, the Mass Effect games, you might not get that. And it's hard to explain to people that you know your companion means a lot. So that's something that I'm looking forward to so much again knowing how it's going to change over time like they said as well and now seeing the level of customization that we're going to have so to me this is again the equivalent of say had i been able to customize my tally or whatever kind of in game and made it that much more personal to my character and i can't wait i that's something that's that is really high up on my list of what i'm looking forward to in this game it's going to be interesting to see how the companions fit in to the MMO setting, though. And that's it, it's something that we just can't really guess at. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out when you don't always need that second player with you. You have the option. It's going to be interesting to see how, how it actually plays out online. Yeah, but if it's something like, and I, and I know you can't say everything because of the NDA for your beta, but if it's anything like the other two games um, or two IPs I should say I I find it hard to believe that if the companion setup or, or system in the game is something that means something to you that you wouldn't take them along even if you don't need them I, I find it hard to believe that there will be a time when I'm out and about that I won't bring one with me and whether that's the, the RPer in me that just kind of like likes being more immersed in the game and so of course i'll want some like if i'm a freaking han solo of course wookie's gonna be with me I, he has to be why would i not bring him with me so to me i see it that why your arms ripped off yeah well i'll just let him win all the time um i so i can't see why i wouldn't bring them with me 
I know you can't yeah. say anything, right? Not much. You can't. Okay. Eventually you will, maybe. All right. So <laughs> I have faith eventually the NDA will be lit. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe five years after the game's released. Nope, NDA is still impressed, but it's already out. All right. We are going to take a short break in a moment. We have a fantastic feature on Crimson Alliance that I'm going to play for the folks in the audience. So you'll definitely want to listen to that. And that's from Vince. Now, Vince, you also found some information out today about that. Yes, uh, they just announced today developer Crimson Affinity uh, announced the Vengeance Pack coming to Crimson Alliance. Uh, It's going to be a downloadable content add-on to the game uh, for 240 points, about three bucks. And it's a mini campaign consisting of about four missions, they said. And each mission in Crimson Alliance... If you really take your time and explore, you got about 20 minutes of content there. So three bucks for a little over an hour. That's, that's okay. Not yeah. And then they're also adding in another challenge map with a new game mode called Fistful of Coins, where they just send endless waves of enemies after you. And <laughs> nice. you, er- you earn money as it goes along, and you can choose to cash out at any point. Of course, knowing that if you push it and you die, you lose all that money. So they're really cranking up the difficulty here and really making players want to go back in and more importantly, play it cooperatively to try and get to those higher levels. Cool. Okay, we're going to take that break. And when we come back, we've actually got some fantastic reckoning news for everybody. So sit tight and listen. Hello, For the Lore listeners. Vince here with a look at the final game in Microsoft's Summer of Arcade 2011, Crimson Alliance. The first thing to discuss with this game is its unique pricing structure. When you download the game, the only option available is the trial version. The trial allows you to play through the first level with any of the three classes, Mercenary, Assassin, or Wizard. After the first level, you have the option of unlocking one class for 800 points, or all three for 1200. It's a unique model, and it will be interesting to see how well it works out. There are also microtransactions in the game, but we'll come back to that later. Crimson Alliance takes place in a country called Bazan. The three adventurers are merely passing through, but soon find themselves swept up in the chaos of a country driven mad by the rule of an evil sorceress known as the Soul Siren. The story is told through cutscenes with hand-drawn still images and voiceovers. The art is very nice, though repetition holds it back some. The voice acting is above average, and the script gives each of the characters enough life to make them fun and engaging. Sure, the story is a bit thin, but it's better than many games in the genre, and serves to move the action forward. The game follows in the footsteps of the Gauntlet franchise, with waves of enemies, constant action, and plenty of rewarding exploration. Each class has three unique attacks, bound to the X, Y, and B buttons, as well as a movement skill on the A button. Characters can also block, throw barrels, use various types of deployable extras, and even unleash an ultimate attack. The combat is fast, the controls are tight, and it's just a fun game to play. While perfectly fine solo, the game really shines when played cooperatively. Players can work together to build their killstreaks and increase their score multiplier, trying to top the online score leaderboards. The game further encourages multiplayer by offering puzzle challenges that require more than one person. So grab some friends, either locally or online, and you can really enjoy everything the game has to offer. Crimson Alliance offers players the opportunity to customize their gameplay style through equipment. 
You can equip a main weapon, sub-weapon, or new armor, all with unique in-game visuals. Each piece of equipment has four stats, corresponding to the three main attacks, as well as bonus health. Whether an item is an upgrade or not will depend on playstyle and which attacks you prefer, as well as unique added effects on some items. New equipment can be obtained by exploring dungeons, completing special challenges, or buying it from shops. Through most of the game, shop items are easily affordable, but the prices become increasingly outrageous as new shops are unlocked. Most items near the end of the game will be completely unaffordable without hours of grinding. However, this is by design, as the game allows you to purchase gold at the rate of 40,000 pieces for a mere 80 Microsoft points. Personally, I never bought gold and had no trouble completing the game on normal difficulty. However, those who wish to play on hard difficulty or attempt to earn gold medals on each mission may be tempted to make the purchase. Some players will love the feature, many others won't. In the end, it all comes down to personal preference, like any in-game microtransaction. Regardless of how you feel about the microtransactions, Crimson Alliance is a fun time for fans of Gauntlet-style games. It's not perfect, but if developer Certain Affinity were to release a sequel following the continued adventures of the three heroes, I would definitely buy it. And we are back. Actually, it's funny because that game had actually flown right under my radar. And after listening to just that, it kind of has me a little interested. How much are you actually playing of this? Um, I've completed the whole campaign solo, and I'm loving just playing it co-op with my girlfriend. We have an absolute blast in these types of games. And it's been a while since uh, Dark Legacy on the first Xbox. So, Did you pick up the, the DLC, the, the, the characters like you were saying? The, uh, the the new DLC just was announced. No, today. no, sorry, not the DLC, but you were saying you can buy the different classes or whatever there. Did you pick up yeah, anything? Yeah, well, uh, it's after a yes or you no. play the demo, I, I bought all three at once. Right, okay. Okay. That, yeah, that's what I meant. And are you seeing that it actually is a lot more fun and with, the, with all three kind of thing? You have more choices and whatnot? Well, yeah, I mean, you have your typical warrior, rogue, wizard triumvirate there. So, I mean, if you only had one available, it'd be a little boring, at least cooperatively. Right. Okay. Yeah, because, again, it is something that I I, I will get the, the demo for sure and give it a shot, and I can easily see myself picking it up. I like that kind of – it sounds weird because it is microtransaction stuff, but I kind of like that pricing model and the fact that you get to play it and have fun and see just how much you like it, whether – and then go from there. Yeah, if you only want to pay a rogue – play a rogue you can get the game at a discount so we'll exactly see. yeah no i really like that because again if you're looking at it in terms of other similar type games if you had the choice of only picking up the character class that you like and saving a few coin i mean if you're not the type that likes to play magic player or classes then boom there you go you could save a couple of bucks i like that Okay, let's talk about one of the big games that is coming up, and that is Reckoning, because yet another huge video dropped, and that one was the, the first podcast episode for um, for Reckoning. It's the official one. Um, it's it's uh, in dire need of some editing, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a couple of the guys could have maybe used a cappuccino beforehand, so they had a little bit more energy and uh, made it more interesting. But holy crap and hell, we got a ton of information in there. 
Yeah, I'm noticing a definite uh, ramp up in their uh, marketing as we get closer and closer to the release of Skyrim. It, that's the thing. I mean, that's their direct competition. And it's funny because they're using a lot of the same terminology as we're hearing or as we already know about Skyrim. Like they're telling us this big open world and all these other things. And uh, and I just think it's funny. But the, the thing is, is, the more that I'm hearing about this, too, it really is going to be a hell of a... Uh, uh, I don't want to say like maybe as much competition for Skyrim because Skyrim is pretty well established, but it'll put a dent in its numbers. Yeah. I mean, but is just kind of sitting back there going, it's elder scrolls. You're going to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't even release anything. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we had the, the reckoning live, uh, stream here. It was hosted by their social manager, Kevin Johnson, otherwise known as Haven. And he was joined by two of the narrative designers for the game, Andrew Ossian and Tom Murphy. And they go into a bit of a discussion as to what exactly a narrative designer is and how they say, well, R.A. Salvatore wrote this immense backstory to work with. And it's the narrative designer's job to present that story actually in a way that's playable in a game. And that's a pretty interesting job to have, if you ask me. Damn right. <laughs> so they start off with the other video they released this week, uh, the five minute long Hero's Guide to Amalur, and how it really focused on... Um, how the player is going to interact with the world, most notably through all the various uh, factions you can join, and how it talks that the game focuses on what they call the Age of Arcana, where the mortal races in Amalur are first coming into contact with magic. Uh, other races like the Gnomes and the Fae, they've had possession of, of magical skills for generations, but now you get you know knuckleheads like the humans stepping in and they got to fuck everything up. So it in that changed. always the way. Yeah. The change really upsets the balance of power in Amalur, and that's where all the various factions come into play, because if you're going to have a Elder Scrolls-style game, you've got to have all those joinable factions. The first oh, yeah. one they talked about yeah. <laughs> the first one they talked about was the travelers. Uh, they're gypsy type characters, and they are world renowned thieves. And they are really having a great time right now with all the upheaval going on because they can exploit all of that chaos to their advantage and pull off all kinds of great heists. And the thing I like here is that uh, the, the the travelers are the only merchants in the game to offer that black market, the only place where you can sell the, the goods that you've stolen from houses and pickpocketed. And how they go on to say that even if you are a more moral character, you can find ways to work with the travelers. So it, it's going to be a fun group of NPCs to interact with. Well, see, that's something that actually we saw in um, uh, the... Was it Morrowind or was it Oblivion? Where you still couldn't sell some of your things if they'd been stolen to mm -hmm. regular vendors. You still had to find the underground economy, essentially, and sell through there. See, I didn't do I much of the, the, the yeah. I think so. Stuff, so. Yeah, I stole a bunch of shit in that game, so yeah. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, so, Jesus. So, yeah. <laughs> Give me the option to steal in a game, and I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I remember the one guy, like the shopkeeper, I just stole right in front of him. He was, like, chasing me out with, like, a, a broomstick. It was hilarious. Okay, oh, so what else did we find Continue. Out? All right, uh, then they moved on to the uh, Scolia Arcana, basically the Mage's Guild. And it's not you know just a bunch of uh, white beards sitting around a tower tinkering with stuff. Uh, they take a more active approach to learning magic, how uh, they, they compared it to like the you know, Amalur's version of the X-Files. Whenever something weird happens, they go out to find out exactly why it happened, and more importantly, how they can responsibly harness that power for their own use. So there could be some very interesting side quests going on here. Hey, go find out why that housewife was turned into a puddle of goo. 
<laughs> they move on to the Warsworn, which we've talked about previously. They're the mercenaries in the game. Uh, they're the last line of defense against the Niskaru, the agents of chaos. Uh, an interesting thing here is that they're only going to fight for good. They're not really sell swords in the traditional sense. If you want to hire them to help out, well, it has to help out the people. It can't just be a, a personal use. So that's that's an interesting twist on the traditional mercenary type group. Then we get into the interesting ones, the the two fey houses, the winter and the summer court. Uh, you know, fairy type people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you if you read a lot of uh, uh, fantasy, it's pretty traditional there. The societies, uh, it's based on balance and their interaction with nature. So again, you have the summer court and the winter court. They exist in balance with each other. The summer court is known as the House of Ballads, and their organization is based upon prestige, the things that you've done in your life, your personal story as a hero. And the great fey heroes, season after season, relive their grand stories of the, all the great things they've done in the past. And when the player comes in, unbound by the threads of fate, you can actually change the stories and causes major chaos within the house. Freaking nuts. I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and then, then you have the winter court, the house of sorrows, uh, you know, whereas the summer court is all about the birth and the life. Winter court is all about death and the decay, not necessarily evil, just existing in balance. Uh, the winter court is at odds with the Tuatha de On, a third fey faction that has come up recently. Um, they've broken the cycle of balance, and they're waging this massive war in Winter Court territory. But the Fae themselves, aside from the Tuatha, have no concept of morality. So the Winter Court has no idea what to do. Like There's this war going on, and they don't know which side to support because it's never something that's ever come up before in their history. So that's where the player steps in and gets to, to choose how things go on their behalf, kind of as an emissary. And they say that the, the Fae houses... They're focused more on this player's role in the story. They're what the, the, the development team refers to as the narrative factions. So instead of going on a series of tasks, it's much more story-driven, and that's going to be a blast to see in the game. See, what I'm seeing here, too, is there are still a lot of very traditional things in this game, at least in so much as what we're seeing right now. And... I've really been enjoying the differences that we're seeing in other games and what's going to be coming up in other games and whatnot. That said, I still hold true to my belief that you, you can still do something that's been done before without, you know, being rewriting the the age old legends and things like that. Just it better damn well be very interesting. You better have very skilled writers and storytellers behind to make it something that doesn't just feel cliched. So far from what we're seeing from this, it doesn't seem like it's going to be cliched. It does actually seem like it will be interesting and engaging. Yeah, Anything I'm really excited. I'm really excited based on that alone. Um, I'm a huge, you know, fantasy fan. I always have been, um, but to see the spin that they're putting on it, uh, even holding to some of the traditional ideals. Um, I think they're doing a really great job of not just not only just generating uh, a good positive hype for the game, um, but just in general, I'm really excited to see what they do with that sort of traditional flair and where it goes. I like what they're doing with the gnomes specifically, how traditionally the gnomes are portrayed kind of, you know, mischievous, a little on the fringe, you know 
quirky. Whereas in this game, they're kind of occupying that role that we normally see the elves in yeah. in traditional fantasy. How they're one of the most powerful magical races, and they use the power to influence and guide the world. So instead of you know coming up with their weird inventions or you know all the crazy stuff gnomes are want to do, they're actually one of the guiding influences. That's that's a cool twist for me. I yeah see I'd be all right with a game without freaking gnomes. Not that I have anything against gnomes. It's just that <laughs> I like I like the differences that they did in Guild Wars Two. This is one of those instances where I like the the different race, like the Asura that we got in in Guild Wars Two. I kind of had it with with gnomes. It wouldn't be hard to come up with something a little different instead. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was that was in there. Again, if you guys want to watch it, it's in the show notes, so just go to the site and you can find it there. It is definitely worth watching simply because it does give you that behind the scenes a little bit. Plus it's uh, it's interesting because I they obviously have a huge respect for the original material and Again, the, the the creative writer in me is looking at it in terms of okay, somebody already generated this entire world and all of its history. Now you can pick through and just kind of see what time is best and what you can work with and what you can play with and and create your stories within that world. And that really appeals to me. I think that'd be a hell of a fun job. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on from there, we only have a couple of other short little things to talk about before we're done. Um, there was some Uncharted 3 news, and basically you can play it early in some circumstances. Joe? Uh, select AMC theaters in L.A., New York, D.C., Dallas, and San Francisco will be holding an Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception Play It First in 3D event come mid-October. Um, I think that's kind of cool because having played video games in a movie theater after taking over it, it's really awesome to see, like, especially a cinematic quality game like Uncharted 3 is going to be on the silver screen. That would be um, awesome. <laughs> it would be awesome. So you get the chance to play one of the most highly anticipated video game releases of the year on a big screen and in 3D before it releases. Uh, the privilege to do so will set you back $25 uh, U.S. standard. Um, but if you drop $60 uh, for an Uncharted 3 premium pass, you'll get the game and have it shipped to you on October 25th, ahead of the November 1st official release. Uh, honestly, for 60 bucks, which the game is going to be 60 bucks anyway, that's a pretty damn good deal. And, yeah. and you can be finished give, in time for Skyrim. Give us, give us your money up front. We'll get, we'll ship it to you a week ahead of time. Why? Because Skyrim's coming. We'll want you to yeah. play our game. <laughs> <damn it. laughs> you know what? That's it, it, that has to be why though. It I has so. to, yeah. It has to be why that they're saying, and it was a hell of a smart marketing move. Like really, yeah. like pre-order this, we'll sell it, give it to you a week early, and then you can still have time. You may as well put that in the advertisement. You'll be done in time for Skyrim, because <laughs> that, that's a selling feature in this case. Uh, but for those of our listeners elsewhere, uh, all around the United States, uh, uh, your participating theater, participating theaters uh, in San Francisco, it's the AMC Metreon. Uh, 16 in Los Angeles, it's the AMC Century City 15. In Washington, D.C., it's the AMC Tyson's Corner uh, 16. In New York City, it's the AMC Lincoln Square 13. In Dallas, it's the AMC North Park 15. So if you have any interest in uh, Uncharted 3, uh, you might want to take, uh, and you live in these areas, you might want to take the opportunity to drop a little cash and go have some fun. Yeah. See, this is more of a reason for me to pick it up early because I was going to wait on it for a little bit, not because I'm not excited, but because, again, cash flow and time. I actually I've pre-ordered my Batman Arkham uh, City for the 360. So I'm ready, dudes. 
when that sucker's out, I'm playing. And I've pre-ordered my Skyrim. So, but now knowing that I can get this done <laughs> before Skyrim, and I'm all right with that. Then that's that's more of a reason for me to pre-order it. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a great reason to pre-order it. Okay, we also got some news in terms of L.A. Noire, and there's the Complete Edition and PC versions coming out in November. Well, we know for certain that the PC version is going to be coming out in November. They've they've said as much. Uh, the Complete Edition is actually a little bit of a speculation. Um, evidence has been found uh, for potentially a new version of the crime thriller L.A. Noire, uh, which is slated for November. Um, it comes at a time where we are already going to see Grand Theft Auto for the Complete Edition and Red Dead Redemption Game of the Year Edition. It's not official yet, but it seems like a pretty good bet that before the holiday season, we're going to see a Complete Edition of L.A. Noire um, either retouched up or, or something done to it before the holiday hits. And with all the titles coming out in that time frame, I could not give a rat's ass. I hate to say it like that, but I really could not. I'm sorry, I, but... L.A. Noir was a great game. I mean, I loved every minute of it, but coming out at the same time, time as Skyrim, Uncharted, I mean, that's pretty tough company, especially for a re-release. Maybe if it was the first release, it would be a little more considerable. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, again, you got your Uncharted and Skyrim, and that's not even talking about Torchlight Modern 2, Warfare, which will already be out in that time. 3, Maybe forget exactly. about it. Yeah, no, forget it. That's that's your prime time game release time. No, this should have been out during the summer. So that, you know... But the, then again, uh, just from a business standpoint, if you if it's offered at a, a decent price, it's a good Christmas gift. Yes. Game. You know, yeah. mom comes in, gets the game, gets the downloadable stuff. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. And lastly, going back to Batman Arkham City, we actually <laughs> yes. got a trailer out. I'm going to play it for the folks in the audience. Kill the volume, though, which is goes against the whole principle because the whole thing with this is we the get audio. to hear Mark Hamill here. So go to For the Lore, check out the show notes, and uh, you'll see the, uh, the, the trailer there. It's actually a damn good trailer for the game. But again... Just hearing him as the Joker, I again, oh. when I watch this full screen and I hear that voice, I get sucked into it. It's unbelievable. And here we have, once again, we were talking about voice acting earlier with Star Wars. It is so damn important to have good voice acting. And this, this trailer, at times creepy as shit, and at times just plain <laughs> interesting and suspense suspenseful and like i loved it what i love about it most of all is the fact that this is going to be mark hamill's last hurrah as the joker how can you love that no no that makes me why. sad what's here's wrong why. with you joe because i feel like listening to this trailer just listening to him i think he's completely gone off the deep end and lost <laughs> <himself>. <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not that it's Mark Hamill's last time as the Joker. He's changing his name to the Joker. So. Pretty much. He is going to be the Joker after this. But no, I mean, it's really fantastic, too, especially because you consider uh, Penguin, Riddler, Two-Face. They've all got a lot of face time now, especially in the recent trailers. Um, in the original game, it was all about Joker. Joker was everywhere. Joker was the main baddie. Um, and the other villains kind of got sort of pushed to the side. So we've had... Mr. Freeze, we've had Penguin, we've had Riddler, we've had Two-Face, we've had the Staples, we've had some of the lesser ones, we've had the Catwoman trailer, we've had some really awesome build-up, and god damn it does Rocksteady make great trailers. Oh but yeah. 
the Joker, aside from that initial teaser back when it was first announced, has been absent. Well, this this trailer is like, what has he been up to? Well, the Joker's off the damn deep end, and you get to see exactly how deep in the murk Batman really is. Um, and you really get a taste of the pure insanity uh, that, or, or super sanity, depending on what logic you subscribe to, of the Joker. And, and it's really, really nice. Um, we also get to see more interaction with Harley and what we can likely assume is going to be the first boss fight in Mr. Hammer. Um, yeah, I can't oh, yeah. wait <laughs> for this. Like, this is going to be like the final stage area of the the, the game. I, I have this sneaking suspicion, and I can't bloody friggin' wait. An all-out, drop-down, knuckle-dragging brawl between Joker and Batman. Oh, oh yes. Please give me now. I, it, especially, uh, I know Roger and I, and I'm assuming you, did you read the uh, the comic miniseries? Uh-huh. Okay. So <laughs> throughout that whole comic miniseries, it was building that tension, uh, especially yes. with the whole uh, war going on between Penguin and the Joker. So he knew Joker was going to be a major figure in the game. It was just a matter of how much and how crazy, as, as well as the tension of just how huge Arkham City is, not just in scope, but... How many people Batman is trapped in there with? And I think this was really the first trailer to capture that feeling for me. Yeah, I, I think so, too, because you, you've gotten little snippets before, like little bite-sized morsels. But you're really starting to get a showcase for, like you said, exactly how many Looney Tunes are in there with them. And again, I said it before, too, and I'll say it again, folks, if you have not read that miniseries that they're talking about, definitely go to your local comic book store, ask him, and I'm quite certain they'll probably have some back issues and you can pick it up. It was a fantastic read in and of itself, but as a pre, you know, prelude to the game, study material for the game, just so that you can get a feel for it and the reasons for different things and whatnot, it is so well worth the money to pick it up. It was fantastic. So anyways, at that, we're going to wrap it up for this week. Thanks for joining us, everybody in the live audience, and thanks for downloading and listening. You can find the show notes, of course, at forthelore.com, and I will have the podcast up for a couple in a couple of days. If you have any comments or submissions, send them to forthelore at gmail.com, and of course on Twitter as well, at forthelore. Thanks. Why do you no work? Excuse me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> My pop filter smells funny. <laughs> so, theoretically, Joe should sound good tonight. Because he, he got a new microphone. Lonesome Road. I haven't played it, so I would not know. You know, if you were so inclined and not a lazy bastard, you could actually record something about that, Hooks, and submit it, as we discussed. Or you can continue to be a lazy bastard. The choice is yours. I will award you achievement points. <laughs> Virtual for the lore achievement points. <laughs> you need to get that sound on your soundboard. <laughs> What's that? The little achievement sound. The yeah. <laughs> You have achieved, good listener. I have to get my rogue to 85. <laughs> because I will be Batman. <laughs> Did you see those daggers, dude? No. Oh, we're gonna be I heard everybody about... talking about it, and I was like, ah, whatever. Whatever? I'm Batman. 
Josh. <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> I will do it. Because it's awesome. It's on file planet. That doesn't help me. Send me the link. Pooks, come on. Make yourself useful. You know you want it. Girl, we're moving. Email me the link. God damn. Seriously, brother. You're playing too many games. It's rotting your brain. I was going to get pissed off at me and not send it to me. I will tweet it. I will tweet it. How hard is it to send an email? He doesn't want me to have his email. He's afraid I'll start. I'll subscribe him to all kinds of. <laughs> <laughs> Although he'd probably be into all the porn shit that I'd get yeah. him on. <laughs> that email address already exists in our records. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold on. That's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> when did she brought that red bra and panties set? <laughs> I've never seen her in this before. Hey, Ma, that push up bra does wonders for you. <laughs> Next time, close your eyes. Uh. <laughs> uh, okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, censored you too, Boogs. <laughs> Hi, Roger. <laughs> okay, see. and she's actually next door. That's how loud yeah. the microphone is. <laughs> she's in the bathroom. That's that's why there's such an echo. She's it's not, not my fault. The girl giggles. Jesus. <laughs> Keep your pants on, and she won't have to. <laughs> you love my giggle, Roger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, she's coming in way clearer on your mic now. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if that's better or not. <laughs> Actually, Joe, can you go sit where she is? <laughs> yeah, she's... <laughs> Everything's an attack on my person. Just keep you. in mind, we're talking about There's Batman. There's no sock puppets involved. <laughs> it wasn't... I'm Batman. Welcome back. I'm Batman. Would you like that? Would you like to ride with Batman? Losing a son.